We're here to observe and see how more we can help, not just to continue praying, but also to provide material support for them so that this church will truly be as ambassadors of Christ, continue serving, bringing the gospel to these needy people in this community. Welcome to a special extended edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. This week, we're taking you on a journey, a journey to the country of Ukraine, a place that has suffered much in recent months at the hand of Russian separatists who have brought the terror of war and religious persecution to Ukraine. In October, I was invited to join a team assembled by Mission Eurasia, formerly known as Russian Ministries, to travel to Kiev and beyond into the eastern part of the country where the fighting has been intense since early 2014. Our host was Sergei Rakuba, the president of Mission Eurasia. As you listen to this report which follows, if you'd like to financially support Mission Eurasia through its refugee assistance program, iCare, please go online to helpukrainenow.org. That's helpukrainenow.org. As a thank you for your gift, you'll receive United in Prayer, a guide to the countries of Eurasia and how to pray for each country. Just go to helpukrainenow.org. As we begin our report, what you're about to hear was recorded as we traveled from Kiev into eastern Ukraine and the region known as Donetsk. Well, Sergey, this day is starting with a train ride. We are riding on a beautiful train, a high-speed train, from Kiev to where? We're going to Donetsk region, Slavyansk, the area where all the action is taking place today. Yeah. Slavyansk is one of the towns that used to be one of the first uh, strongholds for the pro-Russian separatists. If you uh, would remember your listeners, probably those who follow the news, remember that back in April, uh, the pro-Russian separatists took over the city and that's where they all uh, that uh, fight started, you know, for the entire region there. Yeah, and as we speak today, it's uh, fairly early in October, and we don't know what the month is going to bring, do we? No, we don't, you know, but it's already chilly out there, as you see, you know, yeah. this morning. Winter is coming to Ukraine. Yeah, winter is coming to Ukraine, coming to this region, and that's uh, going to be pretty harsh. Uh, winter is one of those, you know, in this area people uh, experience and we know there's lots of refugees, hundreds of thousands of refugees who fled their places, fled their villages, left their homes behind, uh, staying in some of these spontaneously organized refugee camps, places we will be able to see, uh, staying without heat. You know, they uh, did not bring their uh, warm yeah. clothing. Winter is either. coming and no heat in these places. I don't think Americans realize there are so many refugees, or we call them displaced persons because they're not coming from another country, they're coming from within Ukraine, but they're still refugees in every sense of the word, aren't they? And as of uh, this week, we know that the United Nations recognizes uh, uh, on their uh, websites, they say there are uh, about 260 internally displaced people in Ukraine, but can be up to half a million. But uh, they also say there will be about a million uh, refugees altogether on both sides in Russia and Ukraine. What kind and of crisis is that creating then to take care of all those displaced people. Uh, just think about this, you know, government is broke, you know, since, you know, the protests, you know, the previous administration fled to uh, Russia. Uh, it's uh, known, you know, that they cleaned all the bank accounts, you know, they left, you know, the treasury empty. 
so it means, you know, that the government has to take care of its poor people, you know, the pensioners, you know, schools, you know, they have to pay for their army, police. Army is undersupplied, you know, here. And we see as people united by the crisis, they want to help their army, Ukrainian yeah. army, to fight for their independence, for, they say, their freedom. So they are helping to supply even uh, basic things, food for soldiers that are spending those uh, weeks, you know, the front lines. They're defending their lines against the separatists. And we know that backed uh, by Russian uh, army uh, groups. Yeah. And, uh, you know, f uh, basic clothing, you know, so even the bulletproof vests, you know, and helmets. Some people just collect money, churches collect money to supply this for the uh, Ukrainian National Army. See, I don't think we're getting the full story uh, where we live in North America for the most part of what's really going on here. That's why it's important for us to be here. Now, we are heading into an area, and we're not going to put ourselves in danger, but we're heading into an area that's been a hot spot, aren't we? It is right in the middle of all of this, you know, surrounded by, you know, all the what's I mean, the fight is still yeah. going, you know, how in far the from Donetsk areas. will we be? We will be about 110, uh, uh, 110, 120 kilometers from Donetsk. OK, uh, we will be able to visit some of the spots uh, where the spontaneous uh, refugee camps, you know, uh, got uh, started. But we will be right in the middle of the area. This is the hot spot, you know. But this is the community, Wayne, I wanted you to remember, which is, I mean, already rebounding after it was liberated by the Ukrainian forces. Uh, Slavyansk were under the separatist control for at least three months. And then liberated by the Ukrainian army. It was liberated by the Ukrainian forces. Otherwise, Ukrainian we wouldn't army. be going there today. Other, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be there, okay. uh, Wayne. You know, well, so. a big part of the story here, of course, is how are you caring? How, how are the churches responding? And what are the needs and how are they being met and what can we do to help? So let's talk about what the needs are. Yeah, and this is the one of the main things I want us to be able to see, to observe, to make an assessment of what the role the church is playing in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the war there. And we see how church becomes a model of how to serve the community, community that is devastated after so many months you know, of destruction, you know, and siege and uh, lack of uh, basic services. Uh, and uh, we will be able to see how pastors, how they lead their flocks, you know, how they lead their people, uh, not just helping them, not just providing encouragement to them, but inspiring them and being a role models for them how to serve to the community that is in need. You know, first of all, we will be meeting with Pastor Peter Dudnik. That he is uh, considered as a national hero today. Himself, when the city was sieged, he was able with his wife. Uh, first of all, they what they did, they took their children to a safe place, so that they take in turns with his wife on the minivans. They were fighting their way through all those checkpoints, you know, that separatists had through the fields, you know, and back roads. They were getting back to the city, taking older people, people that would be able to move themselves and take them out to a safer place. So they say about 3,000 people were saved you know, from that. He's a true hero. It is a hero. I mean, he's a hero. Plus, you know, he mobilized so many people to help this. Uh, I mean, people that are in need. Uh, so even it became known later on when the town was liberated. So the newly elected president, President Poroshenko, called on to him to have lunch with him uh, and kind of recognizing, emphasizing, you know, so that the role of what the church honor. in the community, evangelical church, it is so important yeah. so that they, they serve people in yeah. need. We will see how many families they serve, those still in refugee camps. We will see how much food that they distribute. Most important, they uh, they also bring uh, the encouragement 
they print uh, scripture, they print all different kind of literature uh, suitable, you know, for uh, to uh, make it available for people during the crisis. So you will be able to see a true role model of the Christian leader, of a pastor, in the midst of the crisis, how they represent the love of God, how they represent the true meaning of the gospel in the midst of a very difficult time, in the midst of turmoil. And that's what we're going to see next couple of days. I can't wait to meet him and thank him for what he's done. I know he would give the Lord the glory, but I want to thank him. Uh, We are here to report, we are here to pray, and we are here to observe and uh, let people know what the true story is here and what they can do to help. So let's see what unfolds in the next day or two here as we make this trip into eastern Ukraine. And I look forward, Wayne, you know, to be with you to just to open the opportunities, you know, for you to also see and be with people and see what the need is and to report on to your listeners. Once the train arrived in battle-scarred Slavyansk, Sergei and I, along with our small group, started touring the neighborhoods, which were riddled with bullet holes and shell and mortar-damaged homes, public buildings, businesses, and even hospitals. We continued our conversation in front of a home, one of many being rebuilt by a local church. Uh, Wayne, as you see, you know, the destruction you see in the background here, you cannot imagine the devastation, you know, so that the people, I mean, the tragedy, you know, that behind this. And there's lots of families that lost their houses, they lost their places where they lived, raised their families, and now they're staying somewhere else. Uh, And that's a temporary refugee places we're going to see. So the need is enormous. And that's what the local church is doing, you know, trying to uh, bring them food, shelter, but most of all, you know, they bring them encouragement, you know, in the word of hope, helping these people to get through this time of crisis, you know, and tragedy. The Christian community, evangelicals, came all together now, as we see, united, helping those people who are in need. And we see the church in Slavians that we are partnering with, this Church of Good News and Pastor Peter, they serve as a role model for entire nation, but even even more, so that they provide uh, lots of help, you know, to this community. And that's what they are kind of fulfilling their responsibility of the church as the ambassadors of Christ in this community, serving as a light and a salt, you know, in a time of uh, turmoil and crisis. This battle took place starting last April, and it went on for some time, but we're standing in front of a home that is destroyed, but next to it is a home that the church has moved into this neighborhood and rebuilt. I mean, there's a brand new roof on that house because of uh, loving Christians. You know, the volunteers that the church mobilized from entire area, but from the whole uh, nation, volunteers by groups are coming, staying at the local church here overnight, but during the day they come to places like, see, you see the next door house, you know, they fix the roof, you know, they rebuild those walls. And there's several houses like that up and, and down the street. Quite a few houses just on the street that they help to, to rebuild, you know, for families, not charge them for anything. Winter is coming. And winter, that's severe, you know, serious winter uh, is coming to this area. And beside that, you know, they provided clothing, food for these families. They helped them to uh, rebuild a new roof, you know, over their head, you know, on their house. So we see that the church is really serving as true ambassadors of Christ in, in this area, helping uh, people to survive, you know, through the tragedy. We'll talk more about what we can do to assist the church in doing its job here in Slavonsk and, and 
and beyond. Also, uh, a few moments ago, we drove uh, past a hospital, a children's hospital that was utterly destroyed by the shelling. I mean, it, it that building is too far gone. It will never be used again. Uh, another hospital, a psychiatric hospital next to it, gone. Schools that have been damaged. I mean, it just goes on and on here, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the need is so big, you know, Wayne, that it's hard to comprehend even seeing all this destruction and devastation and tragedy here. So we're so grateful for Christians around the world, especially in the United States of America, who are helping us to provide support for the church like this one in Slavyansk that continue helping and spreading the gospel through the crisis with their practical uh, love and service to this community. To get to this neighborhood, we had to drive around a, a bombed out bridge. The bridge was destroyed. And just like you've seen World War II movies where they lay a temporary pontoon yeah. bridge down, that's what they've done here to get by so this this neighborhood can be reached. Yeah. And and the story here is really the church in action. That's, that's what this story is about. And that's why we're here, to observe and see how more we can help, not just to continue praying, but also to provide financial material support for them so that this church will truly be as ambassadors of uh, Christ, continue serving, bringing the gospel to these needy people in this community. How good it is to see Ukrainian army troops on the scene here going up and down the road. They're doing their job and we're grateful for them. Yeah, that's true. There are several evangelical churches all doing their part in Slavyansk. One of the largest is Good News Church, well-known and respected now in the community for everything they are doing to provide assistance to people whose homes were damaged or destroyed, as well as caring for many refugee families. But during the battle for the town, the church itself became a focal point of the fighting, as Sergei explains. Yeah, they did take over this church. They housed their troops here, you know, several dozens of soldiers, you know, the rebel soldiers. They stayed at this church, you know, they stocked this church with lots of explosives, ammunition, you know, all kind of weaponry. And But also they did put several tanks here in the backyard, as you see this yeah, there's area a, there's here. there's a lawn expanse behind the church, yeah. a park-like setting, and this is where they put their tanks to fire on the Ukrainian army. And that's where they were firing, you know, at, that, at the positions of the Ukrainian army over there at that hill but what's good you know and God protected you know this place so that Ukrainian army knowing that this is the church and the fire was uh, uh, I mean uh, fired you know from the church premises they did not return any fire right so the and church survived pretty much intact I mean it's a beautiful building it, it had almost no damage you know they lost a few windows you know they say they quickly fixed that but after uh, the separatists left this area and they were living in rush you know they had to retrieve and flee and next day, Peter, as a pastor, Peter said yesterday, you've heard that, so that they found the tons of ammunition and explosives in the basement of this church. So they had to call the army, and the army took, I mean, several truckloads of ammunition, you know, out of this church. This was so, used as a base by the separatists. It was used as a base, you know, for the separatists. But another thing, so that the uh, Orthodox Church priests, you know, they also were trying to make uh, their way, you know, to take over this church for their own uh, purposes. They were very much on the side of the separatists. They were actually at the corner of the building here praying for the separatists as they fired upon the Ukrainian army, and they were hoping to use this church as their own. And that's that's what they were planning to, you know. And as you've seen on the YouTube uh, channel there, so that the tanks are firing there, the Ukrainian army and the Orthodox priests, you know, praying, kind of praying for more destruction, uh, you know, so that, that those uh, shells, you know, they, they, uh, will, will bring, you know, to the positions of the Ukrainian army. They took the extreme side of the separatists, the Orthodox priests Unfortunately. here, did, didn't they? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. But praise God for Pastor Peter Dudnik and this Good News Church here has stood strong.
Yeah, this church is now a base, you know, for God's uh, work here again, you know, an entire community. And as you've seen, uh, delivering food, delivering um, uh, uh, all kind of humanitarian aid, warm clothing. But you've seen this morning, you know, the congregation gets together and out loud in unison praying to God, asking for uh, support, you know, so that God would provide blessing for them when they continue reaching, you know, to all those who are in need in the, in the community here. The separatists use this as a military base. The church is using this as a base to reach out and heal this community. Yeah, and the church using it as was, I mean, they build for the purposes, you know, this church, you know, so that they will be the base to continue spreading the gospel in this needy area. As Sergey mentioned a moment ago, the volunteers began their day at Good News Church by meeting together for prayer. As we watched that morning, a group of construction workers, as well as men headed for the front with medicine and food, gathered in a circle to pray for their mission. The prayer circle ended with the Lord's Prayer. The pastor of Good News Church is known nationally now in Ukraine, receiving special recognition from the Ukrainian president for what he did to rescue people during the fighting, as well as what he and the church members and volunteers have done since then. Sergey and I caught up with the pastor in the parking lot as the volunteers were being dispatched in all directions. Joining us now is Pastor Peter Dugnik from Good News Church in Slavyansk. And uh, Sergey, I want you to introduce this good pastor, this national hero to us here. Uh, yes, it's true, Wayne. You know, Peter, uh, during this time of turmoil here in the city, and, uh, you know, it became known not just through the nation, you know, but around the globe. So, and this church specifically became as an outpost of God's love, God's encouragement, God's uh, ministry uh, here in this area. And Peter is leading this congregation as one of the pastors. And as you've seen, you know, throughout last uh, uh, what uh, day or so, how much ministry they do, reaching out to those who are in need, those who are internally displaced, refugees, families are in need. And I'm so glad, you know, so that we can be together and see, uh, uh, you know, their marvelous ministry in the name of God here. Pastor Peter, thank you for hosting yeah, us Pastor in this Peter, wonderful place. We are so impressed with how you have led your people in responding to the Мы crisis очень here. впечатлены тем, как вы ведете людей, ведете людей uh, вот, uh, пред Богом, ведете свою церковь, свое общество. Just briefly tell us what the church is doing to heal this community from Если war. могли бы вкратце мне сказать, что церковь делает для того, чтобы нести исцеление, нести исцеление в это общество? Мой английский не настолько хорош, чтобы самому говорить, но я частично понял. Действительно национальный герой и всего остального. He says my English is not as good, you know, to understand to say to say that I'm a national hero. He says I'm just a slave of God. I'm just his ambassador. Amen, brother. I was not doing that for this. I was just doing, and what I'm doing, I'm doing in the name of God and for Him. To understand, we're just simple people, and the God. The Spirit of God is working through us, you know, uh, and we just respond to the needs of people as Jesus did, you know, when he lived on this earth. 
When the, the shooting started in our city, we understood there will be some difficulties with uh, basic things like food, you know, and shelter. And we started getting ready for it, you know, how we can help people. So the war actually, war broke out, you know, we saw there was a big need to help people to leave for a safe place. And we started evacuating, helping them to find that place. There was a serious war here, you know, so the shells were falling on the ground, explosions, uh, you know, bombs were uh, falling, you know, bullets flying around. It was a panic, you know, but, uh, you know, estimated we helped about uh, uh, 3,500 people uh, to get, I mean, to find a safe place. I was not doing it by myself. I was doing this with people the team from my church. The whole church was so involved, you know, actively involved in all kind of ministries among these people. There were lots of people that were praying, uh, praying constantly. They were praying in the cities, you know, they were in some safer places, you know, not here at the church, of course, but also outside of the city. There were lots of teams, you know, that they were distributing food, you know, they were delivering food to families that are in need. So, uh, uh, the major uh, portion of our congregations, they were uh, finding places outside of the city, they were forming those food packages, and uh, those who were more braver, you know, so they were delivering those packages back in the city, feeding people who were trapped here. So there was uh, five uh, different vans, I mean vehicles, you know, they were always uh, uh, shuttling, you know, people out of the city, you know, finding for them a better place. So when the shooting was stopped, you know, and the separatists retrieved, you know, so you can imagine the city had no power, no uh, heat, uh, nothing, you know, so the, the problem with food, of course, uh, became one of the most uh, urgent and we started feeding more and more families. Я думаю, что минимум 20 тысяч продуктовых пакетов мы привезли в каждый дом. So we estimate at least 20,000 food packages we distributed, you know, delivered to families in need here. Потом возникла новая потребность в восстановлении жилья, и мы включились в то, чтобы помогать людям восстанавливать жилье. And then, as you've seen, you know, there are quite a few homes were destroyed, so we got involved with our volunteers to help people to restore their homes. Rebuilding homes taking care of refugees, feeding families, rebuilding the orphanage that was destroyed by the fighting. This church is amazing, and it has revealed itself to be the true church of Jesus Christ in this place. Uh, Jill Nelson from World Magazine is here as well with a question. I understand you've sent buses or vans into Donetsk. Tell us a bit, little bit about that process to rescue some of the people from that town that is still under separatist control. Uh, 
We were mostly involved in helping people to get evacuated, you know, from Gorlovka, which is next large, next door, large city to Donetsk. It's twice as big as Slavyansk, and every day that we were taking buses there, you know, to just take people out of that city. It was sort of a safe area where we were able, we were able, you know, to come, you know, and that's where people were gathering, you know, we would load them on buses and take them out. Yeah, so there was a kind of a neutral area on one side there was an exploded bridge, you know, and the separatist forepost was on that side of the uh, river. And uh, 10 kilometers farther on that side, there were uh, Ukrainian forces. And so in that kind of space, in a neutral zone, we came. So we would come there, we would come to that bridge, people would cross walking, you know, on the debris of the bridge, you know. So we would load them on buses and take them out to Okay, always a, uh, yeah, a dangerous, you know, the three of our guys got arrested by those separatists, you know, and they were placed in, in their jail. We lost four cars, you know, they were abducted, taken away from us. Yeah, we but know the men that... men were released, right? Men were released, but, you know, they never recovered those vans and uh, buses, so... And I understand President Poroshenko has recognized your efforts here. Did you have an opportunity to speak with him? So the situation was, you know, so that uh, President Poroshenko, he called all the volunteer uh, people that work in the community, helping, you know, community. And it was all related to the help of uh, Ukrainian army. And I was asked, and I was asked to speak, you know, I, I spoke about the need and help for the internally displaced people and uh, the phone okay so I started speaking you know and then Angela Merkel called him you know and my speech was interrupted you know by that unexpected call you know so. <laughs> okay Pastor Peter thank you God bless you and bless all you. the believers here in Slavyansk it is uh, an amazing story that we want everyone to hear about мы благодарны всем кто поддерживает всех кто посылает из Америки собирает груз посылает одежду обувь чтобы поддержать голодных людей и присылает финансы чтобы восстанавливать приюты восстанавливать дома очень благодарны за это пусть Бог благословит вас чтобы вместе мы действительно показали we're so grateful to all those who live in America for your funds, you know, for your generosity, for your sacrificial contributions to our work. Those who collect warm clothing, those who collect funds to help us to continue spreading the gospel here through the crisis. So let's continue together, continue expanding God's kingdom through the turmoil in this area. Thank you. Also with us in Slavyansk that bright morning in Ukraine was a correspondent for World Magazine, Jill Nelson. As we watched a van full of food and medicine leave the church parking lot for Donetsk, where the fighting had moved, I asked Jill to comment on what we were seeing and experiencing. You know, it is just incredible to see people coming from all over the country to help their brothers and sisters, to help this community rebuild after a time of just immense destruction 
grief in many, many cases, and to see them coming together as a community and really living out the gospel is a powerful, powerful uh, moment yes. here in Ukraine. What happened here when the separatists moved in and the military fighting began was that neighbor turned against neighbor and, and mistrusted each other during this mm -hmm. crisis because you didn't know where your neighbor stood on which side right. of this conflict. And that's what's impressed me so much. This church that we're standing at now, Good News Church, has really done everything they can to heal this community of that mistrust and to rebuild regardless of people's loyalties. They just mm -hmm. move in and love their enemies too. That's right, coming alongside each other in an intense way. And you know, I've been following this conflict since you know February, March, April, back during the Maidan protests that took place in Kyiv, mm -hmm. uh, and then things transpired into a different situation where you had Russian pro-Russian separatists here in the east um, taking over towns, taking over areas, and uh, it, it was just amazing. I've been following Pastor uh, Sergei Kosyak from Donetsk, who has been manning this prayer tent, and I remember seeing his posts, which were being translated by another woman who is from America but speaks Russian fluently. She was translating all of his posts every week um, and showing how he was manning in his this prayer tent with his uh, brothers and sisters from the church and really praying for their community and reaching out both to those uh, who were on the, uh, I'd say, more pro-Kiev and reaching out to those who were more pro-Moscow. Uh, there was a situation where... Um, there were, you know, some separatists that came and tore down the flag, the Ukrainian flag on this prayer tent mm. and ran off with it. And some uh, Ukrainian nationalists came along and I guess beat these guys up <laughs> and took the flag back. And the most amazing thing happened. These people from the church went and took the men that had been beat up, brought them to the prayer tent, patched up their noses. Ordinarily, they'd be enemies. They would be enemies. And in a sense, they had labeled themselves as enemies of this prayer tent. And yet they went alongside them. A good Samaritan story brought them to the prayer tent, patched them up, and gave them New Testaments and prayed for them. Yeah. And those are the types of stories we're hearing coming out of eastern Ukraine. Yeah. And to think we're only, I'm told, about 60 miles from where the Malaysian jetliner was shot down. This is an intense conflict that goes on. There is an official ceasefire, but that doesn't mean that the, uh, the fighting has stopped here. That's right, and uh, there's really no sign in sight as the ceasefire agreement has not truly been honored. There's been reports of um, fire at the Donetsk airport uh, this past week, and the situation still remains tense. And yet you have Pastor Peter Dudnik here who says, you know, we just sense that this is what God has for our city right now. This is an opportunity for the gospel to truly shine, yeah. and we are confident that he is with us through this. The immediate crisis facing the refugees from Donetsk who have come to this town for refuge, those displaced persons, is that, I mean, we're standing here in mid-October and it's there's a chill in the air right now. It's getting cold. But winter is coming and they are living in a summer camp with uh, largely, uh, some of the buildings are even open buildings and on, I don't understand only one of the buildings has heat. They're desperately trying to retrofit and fix a damaged building here with heat to get them in before winter. I don't know how they're going to make it. Yeah, the situation looks dire right now for a number of these refugee camps that are, are really set up to be summer camps. And so what to do with all these people, I think, is the top priority right now as we are um, basically at the beginning signs of winter here. It's getting cold. It's what, probably 35 degrees today? Yeah, I think so. Jill, thank you very much. This is an eye-opening experience, isn't it? Truly it truly is.
Estimates are that hundreds of thousands of refugees have fled areas in the Donetsk region, most of them fleeing without many personal belongings, leaving homes and in some cases family members behind. As long as the Russian separatists are in control, it is impossible for them to go home for fear they will be marked for execution. With the government of Ukraine bankrupt as the former president fled to Russia, emptying the national treasury, there is little the government can do to provide assistance to those who have been displaced. As a result, the churches have stepped into the gap. In two towns, we visited buildings formerly abandoned, which were being rebuilt by church volunteers from western Ukraine. But they are racing against time as the harsh winter season is only a few days away. In the meantime, temporary camps have been set up. We stopped at one such camp, a summer facility with unheated buildings where some 100 refugees, many of them children, were making the best of a bad situation. While the children played all around us, we talked with Pastor Sergei Kasyuk from Donetsk. As introductions were being made, Sergei Rakuba explained what Pastor Kasyuk has been through. Uh, you know, he was captain, uh, you know, for three days, uh, uh, I can even say tortured. You know, he was interrogated, you know, so then he was let go just by God's, God's grace, you know, how he got saved. So it was some pictures, you know, he, I mean, I think he even had some pictures, uh, you know, so that, that his whole body was bruised, you know, so they, he barely, actually, barely survived. So now he's working still his people. They continue that prayer marathon, they call it, you know, prayathon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they still have that. They don't go away and they pray every day. And it's already 200 and how many days? Сколько дней, Сергей, уже молитвенный марафон идет? He says it's already 200 and... Uh, whatever, over, over 200 days. Yeah, 217 days today, they continue praying out, you know, in the public, you know, they're in Donetsk, city under control of this pro-Russian separatist or terrorist organization. They continue come every day, pray. In many cases, you know, they kneel down openly there. There is a, and they continue praying for the safety of the city, for that God will stop all the destruction, devastation, you know, killing and, and so on. Until he was forced to leave to save his life, Pastor Sergei Kashyuk led a prayer vigil in Donetsk. Through a translator, he described the situation now. Now, the prayer marathon is, um, I would say, underground, because all those terrorists who escaped from Slavyansk, they came to Donetsk and they start to play differently. They immediately captured three of our people in the middle of the street who prayed. And the young woman they released immediately. One uh, brother was uh, held for two days and one for three days. Both of them were tortured, but uh, after that released. Standing on the playground, Sergei Kashyuk explained the persecution taking place throughout the region. Uh, on those uh, occupied territories, they using the new philosophy of Russian, new Russian world, which means uh, the religious uh, field belongs only to uh, Russian Orthodox Church Moscow Patriarchy, and they uh, persecute all other believers. And the majority of evangelicals are under pressure now, under big pressure, persecution, I would say. Uh, only 25% of all evangelical churches are still functioning in those captured uh, regions. For example, my church, uh, just afraid to gather together and people meet on the home groups. 
they uh, have uh, certain labels for uh, certain churches. For example, evangelicals, they labeled like Americans. Uh, Catholics, they blame like Westerns and Uniats. Uh, Ukrainian church, they blame uh, because the, they say Ukrainian church uh, divided Orthodox church, the, the, whole, the, 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 the unity inside of Orthodox church. And basically they think they in war with America because America wants to control Ukraine and they are trying to free Ukraine from America. After several minutes of conversation, I asked Pastor Kostyuk what we in North America could do to help more. I think uh, you were here and you saw the problem uh, with your own eyes. Uh, we know that uh, people in America always were uh, very merciful and sacrificial. Unfortunately, you won't be able to go to the occupied territories because it's going to be very unsafe for you. But uh, I would say that we are trying to provide medicine uh, to those people in Nice and on, in, on occupied territories. And uh, you probably have to stay here at least for a few days just to feel uh, what Ukrainians feel and to un understand the deepest need of these people here in, in these territories. There, on that chilly day, with innocent children in sweaters and jackets riding on a weathered merry-go-round, one last question was asked of Pastor Kasiak. The question was, what has sustained him? There is a price, of course, for everything uh, you see here. For example, I live without my family for about six months already, and I didn't see my son, who is actually six months old. I saw him for just two weeks. Uh, the terrorists are uh, issued a, a reward for my head, it's $20,000. In this particular time, church should reveal itself. I never in my life saw time in Ukraine when God reveals a true face of the people. A lot of heroes was born during this time uh, from the church background. And I feel that it's exactly the time that i supposed to be here and serve people. Living apart from his family, a reward for his capture, living day to day. But Sergei Kashyyyk knows he's where God has placed him at this time. At one of the refugee facilities, a grandmother sat on the edge of her cot holding her beautiful five-year-old blue-eyed granddaughter. We wept with her as she told of trying to explain to the child in her lap why they couldn't go home. As we said goodbye to these brothers and sisters living in crowded, difficult circumstances, Sergei Rakuba explained what we can do to help. Wayne, as you see, the need is enormous. You know, these pastors do anything possible, whatever they can do to mobilize volunteer support, you know, help but they need financial resources to provide winter space for families that, you know, to certain reasons, you know, they cannot go back to their homes. You know, some of them, they left, I mean, they lost their homes. So financial support to provide living space for them, shelter, to provide food for them, to help them to buy medicine for them, to take care of their children, but warming, warm clothing. This is, as I see, when winter, severe winter is coming to this area, would be one of the biggest needs as well. So thank you for coming to Christians, the United States of America, for not just to continue earnestly praying, but to sacrificially giving, you know, to help these families, to help these pastors that are doing anything possible to help those people who are in tremendous need in this area in eastern Ukraine. Well, there is one more place in Slavyansk, Ukraine, where I want to take you. 
On top of everything else, Good News Church established an orphanage some years ago, and during the battle for the town, the children were evacuated, but the building became a place for the Russian separatists to stage their tanks and fire upon Ukrainian forces on a nearby hilltop. In the process, the orphanage sustained extensive damage. By the time of our visit, much had been done to rebuild and plan for the return of the children. Much of that was due to assistance provided by Mission Eurasia, the organization in America that is led by Sergei Rakuba. After surveying the remarkable rebuilding project, Sergei stood outside the orphanage with me. I'm so happy that we can get involved and help these incredible people, you know, that are working so hard, as you see. You know, so many people volunteer their uh, time, you know, volunteer their skills, you know, their labor. And we're helping them just to buy the materials and the equipment to, to finish this uh, uh, orphanage. Uh, as you've heard the story, you know, so that when the Ukrainian army was returning the fire, that separatist, you know, shot at them. And uh, because of that, you know, a few mines you know, got into the building and destroyed that. So they had to put lots of work in order to restore and prepare for what that uh, 40, 50 children to come back and uh, move in into this uh, building. Well, the work goes on, but it wouldn't go on without the generous help of our friends who've made this possible. So, I mean, we're standing really at a construction site, but it's about to be wrapped up in a couple of weeks here and the children get to move back in before the weather turns cold. Yeah, two to three weeks and they believe that children uh, will be, uh, I mean, this will be ready for children to move in uh, back into this building. And I want to express my deep gratitude to all those who generously, faithfully provided, uh, helped us to help this incredible people that, as you see, Wayne, you know, work day and night uh, to uh, to make this uh, place ready for children, those who uh, are somewhere else now, you know, waiting for this uh, building to be ready for them. Yeah, here we are. It's, it's dark now. And it's gotten kind of cold here tonight in uh, mid-October, and it's, uh, what, 7? I don't know. I haven't looked at my watch lately. It's at 7 or 8 o'clock, and someone's working diligently inside. Yeah, it's 7 p.m. You know, it's past 7 p.m. local time, and as you can hear, people are still working. You know, it's been been working in, what, 10 12 hours probably today, right. and it's all volunteer work. People donate sacrificially what they can, and we're so grateful that people help us to provide resources to buy materials that are quite expensive here and help you know to finish this building. I want listeners to understand as I look in the distance here, it's dusk, there's still enough light that I can see a mountain of sorts that is not all that far away, and this building is right in the line of fire. That's where the Ukrainian army had a position there? Yeah, that's what happened. The Ukrainian army, uh, Ukrainian forces were over on that hill, as you see, that height. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were shot at from this territory. The Russian separatists, they brought their equipment, their tanks. and uh, this property? On on the property, property of the orphanage. So they drew fire to an orphanage. Uh, yeah, that's what they did. That's what the purpose, you know, of them. So they were shooting at the Ukrainian army, and of course, you know, they were returning the fire. Yeah. And that's what happened, you know. So they got shot. The building, you know, that got themselves and returned yeah. fire on an orphanage. Of course, the children weren't here by that time, but still. It was pretty much destroyed. It was uh, it was destroyed, and they had to redo lots of work, as you see in all these uh, concrete slabs. You know what? About, about a dozen of them uh, had to be replaced, so they had to use a crane. You know, they put they had to put a new roof, new windows. You know, all over around this two-story building, and uh, you know they basically had to buy uh, all the new equipment. You know, to prepare this building for winter, and uh, you know to make it ready for children to it's move. An amazing in. amount of work. 
work that's been done here in such a short time. And again, we're so grateful. We're going to keep on the move here as we uh, spend just a day and a half in this place. Uh, the fighting is uh, in the Donetsk region. It doesn't happen to be in our neighborhood at the moment, but uh, it's not that far away, is it? It's not that far. You can feel it probably in the air, you know. Yeah. So you see how much tragedy, how much devastation, destruction. And, uh, you know, the hope is the most probably needed thing here in this area. Uh, when, and as we see, you know, these people, you know, doing everything possible. People from the this local church. They are working and under the so hard. Leadership and I'm of, so impressed. Yeah. Uh, churches from all over Ukraine are sending men into these places, into Slavonsk to really uh, rebuild these buildings like this orphanage. Yeah, volunteers come from all over the nation. You know, churches get united, get behind this uh, little community. And uh, although, yeah, there is a tragedy, but I see how a church shines its light, light of hope and love, and, and love, you know, through the crisis, uh, spreading the gospel, even, uh, you know, uh, despite of the tragedy and devastation. Here. As one of the local pastors here today said, this reveals the church. And this church is leading the way, showing us how to do church in a culture that needs it so badly. And you've seen yourself, you know, how much respect the pastor has in the community, stopping at yes. the checkpoint, you yes. know, so the military checkpoint, and they are so thoroughly checking every single car that goes through it. As soon as they see the pastor, they wave him, they smile and say, <laughs> no, you just go, we trust you. Pastor you know, so. Peter and the Good News Church has developed just a stellar reputation here yeah. in town because of their service in the name of Christ. Yeah. It's an amazing story, enabled in part by Mission Eurasia and our friends. So, And we're so grateful, Wayne, yeah. you know, so that you are here with us, you know, as a board member, so you have a chance to uh, make an assessment yourself, to have the first-hand experience, and we're so grateful to all our faithful supporters and prayer warriors who get behind and continue supporting us, enabling us to partner and to enable churches like you've seen today, you know, to continue spreading the gospel in this area. Area. My thanks to Sergei Rakuba, president of Mission Eurasia. And as we conclude this report, I have no other word than amazed to describe what we saw. The evangelical churches in Slavyansk revealed as people who truly love and serve their neighbors, even their enemies at times, all in the name of Christ. Whether it's rebuilding homes damaged by shells and mortar fire, rushing food and medicine to where it's most needed or providing shelter, warm clothing and protection for many who have fled their homes because of persecution and the threat of death. The church in action is something to behold in Ukraine. Their sacrifice and dedication to living out the gospel can teach us much about what we can and should be doing ourselves. But they do need help, and Mission Eurasia is dedicated to doing all it can to come alongside the church in Ukraine and provide resources that are so desperately needed, resources the government doesn't have the means to provide, but the church is stepping into the gap. I hope you'll take the time to learn what you can do to help through Mission Eurasia's I Care Refugee Assistance Program. Go online to helpukrainenow.org and find out what difference you can make. That's helpukrainenow.org. When you give a gift, we'll send you a prayer booklet, United in Prayer, detailing not just Ukraine, but all the countries of Eurasia, the challenges of proclaiming the gospel in those places, and how to pray specifically for each country. This prayer guide is a thank you for your gift today. Go to helpukrainenow.org and read more about the current needs and how to help. Helpukrainenow.org. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thank you for listening and allowing me to bring you a first-hand account of what's going on in the country of Ukraine. I hope you'll pray and support those who desperately need our encouragement. 
Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson and a special word of thanks to editor Glenn West, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you to listen next time to First Person.